the question is, what does Dick Gregory mean when he says, my point is we can have help from white folks, but we can't rely on them. So the quote is, my point is we can have help from white folks, but we can't rely on him. What do you guys think he means by that? That's the question. You guys got it? Y'all understand? Hey. Got it. Solidarity. Free people are the ones with enough money to control the information the rest of us get. Throughout history, time and time again, the accomplishments of Black folks haven't just been victories for Black people, but rather they've moved the needle forward for everyone. Take the transatlantic slave trade, for example. Now, this was not the first time one group of people enslaved another group. No, human history is filled with man's inhumanity to man. However, of all the people that have been enslaved, we liberated ourselves the quickest. Others were in slavery for thousands of years, and yet we broke our chains in less than 300. And when, we, and when we got our freedom, we didn't stop there because with the end of the transatlantic slave trade, the civilized nations of the world ended legal slavery forever. I say legal because the sad reality is that slavery still exists in this world. Whether it's human trafficking, sexual slavery, or imprisonment, we still have a lot of work to do, even though we've already come such a long way. Despite how much we've done for everyone else, we still can't b believe in others. We have to believe in black solidarity. And coming out of slavery, that's exactly what we did. Sure, it wasn't always pretty at times. And of course we had to stumble before we could walk. But the fact of the matter, the fact of the matter is that we were immediately on the path of unification. Now, don't get me wrong. There have always been well-meaning and doing white folks that fought alongside, alongside of us. Some of them, like John Brown, even fought harder than many of us. All of the way up through today, there is no shortage of white people who understand the universality, universality of the human spirit. These brothers and sisters truly heard King when he said, no man is free until all men are free. My point is, we can have help from white folks, but we can't rely on them. That holds for all oppressed groups. No one knows the depths of your experience but you, and only you can liberate yourself. So we have to organize ourselves. We've done so in the past and we need to do it some more. If you go back in time, 100 years, 50 years, in every state you find thriving black towns full of black businesses. You see many of our historically black colleges and universities in their infancy, a shell of what they are now, but full of black genius that could eclipse even the institutions that comprise the Ivy League. You find black folks literally putting their lives on the line to teach members of their community how to read and write. You see black banks so prosperous that white folks invented all kinds of trickery as excuses to burn them down. You read the stories of black life from coast to coast by a bold and independent black press. And yet all of this was done without ever having received 40 acres or a mule with lynching serving as the melancholy backdrop and government-sponsored discrimination operating as the law of the land. In this section, I highlight ways in which Blacks have organized and produced great outcomes, showing how, against all odds, Black genius emerged from the depths of oppression. And when it did, it didn't remain greedy. I talk about how great organizations came from great leaders and show the great institutions that great leaders belong to. You may have thought that after slavery, we would, we would have been content just to be free, but we wanted power and we worked together to build it. All right. So again, the question was, what did he mean by the quote, 
My point is we can, we can have help from white folks, but we can't rely on them. What does that mean to you guys? Y'all want to think about it or you don't know? So we're not using the raise hand feature, you know? Okay. Go ahead, go ahead, Auntie, because it's only a handful of us today. Oh, okay. So um, to Thank me, you, it means, okay. So to me, it just really means the fact that you use them just like they use us. So we use them for what they can give us and how they can give us that leg up. But then we just have to be prepared that when we get that leg up, we know how to maneuver to no longer need their assistance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Anybody I also, Go ahead. also thought it meant that um, that why they may hark like um like he said like what King said no man is free until all men are free. Like I think that's like part of what the rhetoric is too because while you know it's it's so much that we can do personally like in our lives and our community and stuff like that but we always see how white people always find a way to kind of tear us down some kind of way so we have to find a way to be you know more resilient so they can't even get to that point to tear it down so like regardless of how many white people we will have behind us is always going to be somebody that's going to find a way to try to knock us down and so like they'll help with some of that but until they really like you know change the rhetoric with themselves and their families and their communities too then it really won't you know be a great return for us even mm-hmm. Trent did you have something no it's okay for me i thought go ahead no i was just thinking um similar to what your auntie was saying we just have to be prepared to know what we need from them how we know they can be of service and being able to Mm -hmm. use that and then being able to you know take that leg up and keep pushing like just not it's the same thing with the allies like Mm-hmm. If you're an ally, like, okay, I appreciate it, but it's like, I don't need you to be an ally. Like, okay, I'll take the extra help in hand because I can use it, but I don't need it. You know, mm-hmm. and just becoming comfortable in the fact that we're not, we don't need that additional assistance. But whatever help you can provide is, you know, it's appreciated, but I don't need it. And once you do provide mm-hmm. it, I still know how to move forward. I'm not going to be in debt to you or, or um, reliant upon you. Right. Yeah. Go ahead, Mom. So for me, I, I have two thought processes about the question, or two. I feel two different ways about the question. One, I don't think we should just outright trust everything that the white man says. And I and me speaking about my 53 years, if a white man said it, then it, it had to be the truth. I mm-hmm. think now we need to not only listen to what they say, we have to actually do our own research to find out if it is in fact true. Um, And then I believe if we are given a chance that maybe our predecessors were not given, that we should work harder just to do better. 
work harder mm -hmm. to, you know, not only for ourselves, but for the next generation. I think as African-Americans, our work ethic is not what it should be. I don't think, it, and a lot of us have the mentality that we're owed, that we're owed something because of the way we were enslaved and for how long we were enslaved. And I just think we have to think above that. Mm -hmm. Because even if it's given to us, how are we going to maintain it? Just because something is given to you today does not mean you'll be able to ma maintain it in 30 days or even 30 years. So how do we be better? How do we become more unified? Yeah. Um, just to speak on what you said about um, our work ethic isn't what it should be. I think that our work ethic is similar to um, to most races. However, we have a special circumstance where I feel like Black people have to work harder to get yes. as far as other races. So it's like, it's not that we're lazy or that we don't want to work, but when you're oppressed and constantly put down, you either A, give up, or you don't work hard enough to get over that hump or get through those obstacles. Um, and last, uh, for the last meeting, we talked a lot about what a, an ally was. We probably talked about that for like an hour and a half, right, Tris? <laughs> um, what, you know, what an ally is in regards to non-Black people. Um, and I always refer to our relationship with white America just as I would any other relationship. So you have to be independent within a relationship, whether it's a friendship or, um, you know, a partnership as far as, you know, a spouse or something like that. You have to be independent on your own for both of you to be happy. One person can't depend on the other person for their happiness or uh, their well-being. No, I'm going to take care of me. You're going to take care of you. And that's going to make that a better partnership. So I feel like we have to have that same mentality when it comes to white America. I don't need you to provide me with a job. We can provide our own jobs. I don't need you to provide resources. We have our own resources. Granted, you know, we don't have, like we need more black businesses. We need more black institutions that are supported by us. However, we have to build that foundation so that we aren't constantly running to the white man or to the system for help. Hey, help me. I need food stamps. I need this. I need that. Um, and not judging anybody that's on food stamps, but we just have to be independent within our own communities. That way I don't need you. And if you so happen to help me out with the, with a certain business or a certain whatever, that's cool. Thank you. But like Trish said earlier, if at any point you take that away from me, you have no, you can't take anything away from me because I can do everything on my own. That's fine. You know, you can't fire me. You can't, you can't control my life at all. Anything that we have is supplementary. So I think that's what he meant by that. We can be friends with white people. You know, they can sit down at our table, but I don't need to sit down at your table for me to eat or for me to have independence or to be happy or all of those things. Anybody want to add anything before we go on? Nope. Nope. All right. We're going to keep it rocking and rolling. Oh, and this is also uh, BYOB. 
So, you know, we usually have wine and uh, drinks. You know, our last meeting was like two and a half hours. So, you know, we come prepared with uh, food, snacks, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. <laughs> wine, liquor, weed, it's whatever. B-Y-O-E for everything. I'm dead, okay? <laughs> oh, for real. Auntie, you ain't been on here in, in a couple weeks. It then it then transformed a little bit, you know. But I see, I see, I like. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go to the next one. Oh, for y'all that don't know, it's not W E B Du Bois, it's Dubois. We should say his name right. I learned that today. Right. <laughs> I just want you to know that Galen and I both went to a grammar school and they taught us, and this is a shame because the principal principal was black the teachers were yeah. all black and they taught us w-e-b du bois so mm -hmm. well, from that's first because... grade wow from first grade through sixth grade i went to w-e-b du bois grammar school oh. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's, that's because at jones commercial my um which is the high school i went to my um principal was black and she made sure that we said Dubois. Mm. Yep. Okay. All right, I'm going to read. <clears throat> W.E.B. Dubois, Booker T. Washington, and the Atlanta Bonnie. Compromise. Yes. Bonnie, what's the next question? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'm off my uh, game today. Okay, the question is, how do you feel about Booker T. Washington's idea of what Black people need to do to survive in white America? Y'all don't know what his idea is yet, but basically, how do you feel about Booker T. Washington's idea of our survival? Y'all got it? Thank you, Auntie. All right. Here's something that might seem strange. At the same time that some white folks were making things tough for black people in the South, other white folks couldn't throw money at blacks fast enough. Most of the money had to do with education. Some of the rich folks giving out all the, all, giving out all the money, the philanthropists did it partly out of the goodness of their hearts. Some of them were church folks and were just trying to do their Christian duty, but some of them, especially the ones in the North, figured it this way. If folks in the South, including black folks, got enough education to get good jobs, they could pay their fair share of taxes. See there, with half of what, what goes on in life, if you dig down to the bottoms to see what it's all about, you find money. With the other half, you find sex, but that's a different story. Here's how strange it was. <clears throat> After slavery came a dozen years of reconstruction, and it seemed like a new day for black folks in the South. Because there were federal troops ensuring our rights, Blacks could vote and run for office with little trouble, and there were even Black senators and congressmen down South. Then came the presidential election of 1876. It was a close one. It looked like the Democrat Samuel Tilden had more votes in the Electoral College than the Republican Rutherford B. Hayes. Some said otherwise because the vote in a few states was so close that nobody knew whom the state's electoral votes were going to. There wasn't a presidential election like that again until 124 years later when George W. Bush ran against Al Gore in 2000. 
finally, the Democrats said, okay, look here, y'all can have the election, no problem. You just have to do us one favor. Take these federal troops out of the South, you know, the ones y'all got down here making sure blacks can vote and get elected to office. Let us deal with our black people our way. The Republicans said, cool. And that's how the compromise of 1877 happened. Hayes became president and just about the first thing he did was remove the troops from the South and just like that, reconstruction was over. Now here's the strange part. Rutherford B. Hayes, the man who became president on the condition that he pulled federal troops out of the South and end reconstruction, that same man later helped run a fund that helped a dozen schools train black teachers. Isn't that some crazy stuff? Even after the government pulled the federal troops out of the South, and even after blacks got chased out of Congress with white dudes in hoods two steps behind them, and even when some black, blacks were getting locked up just for looking white folks in the eye, while all of that was happening, black folks were going to school. If they couldn't do anything else for them, poor black parents were at least able to send their kids to school. One of those little kids was young Booker T. Washington. He was born in Virginia in 1856 as a slave, then after emancipation, he went to school at the Hampton Institute in Virginia. That school was run by General Samuel Chapman Armstrong, and that's who gave old Booker T the main idea he didn't let go of for the rest of his life. It was all about work. If you were working, you were staying out of trouble. The more work you did, the better you got at it, and the better you got, the more money you made, and the prouder you felt. The prouder you felt, the more you stayed out of trouble because you didn't want to mess it all up doing some low down mess. The more money you made, the more property you would have, and the more property you had, the more you would have to keep and protect, so the harder you'd work. For Booker T, it all started and ended with work. Booker T. Washington believed that for Black folks in the South, which is where most of them were at the time, the key was to find work that white folks needed done. That way, Black folks would be useful to other people, and when other people needed you, you survived. Just like that, if black folks show white folks we could work and be trusted, if we prove that our presence was good for white people, the whites might just let up on us and treat us like ordinary folks instead of animals. What kind of work did white folks need done? Farming and other manual labor, stuff like that. See, Booker T was all for blacks getting educated as long as we got taught to do practical stuff. General Armstrong recommended Booker T head up the Tuskegee Institute a school in Alabama for black folks that got started in the 1880s. Booker ran to ski for the rest of his life. It gave his ideas a spotlight. He thought the most important thing was for blacks to get themselves together economically. Racial equality, fighting for voting rights, integrating with whites. The more Booker T saw it, all that could wait. It was more important to work. You best believe white people ate that stuff up. Why wouldn't they have? They didn't have to change a thing they were doing if black folks were going to help them. In 1895 in Georgia, Booker T gave a famous talk that was known afterward as the Atlanta Compromise Speech. He said about blacks and whites, and all things that are purely social, we can be as separate as the five fingers, yet one as the hand and all things essential to mutual progress. White people clapped at that so they couldn't feel their hands. Washington told blacks in the South that they should forget about going somewhere else to make a new start. They had opportunities right where they were. He said, to those of my race who depend upon bettering their condition in a foreign land or who underestimate the importance of cultivating friendly relations with a Southern white man, I would say, cast down your bucket where you are. Cast it down in making friends in every manly way of the people of all races by whom we are surrounded. Cast it down in agriculture, 
mechanics and commerce and domestic service and in the professions. I'm gonna pause right there. So <laughs> what do you guys think of his idea? Go ahead, Kiki. <laughs> I'm just like, wow. Like, I, don't, I have no words. I guess, like, because I, I get it from, I guess I get it from both sides. I get that he's saying that, you know, be practical so you can kind of keep your head down, stay out of trouble, X, Y, and Z. Okay, cool. But at the same time those were the conditions that were basically what we're living through with slavery so now technically you're not considered property or technically you're actually considered a human now but like technically hanging people is still legal so like you know it's it's a, a two-fold thing to process for me i just yeah i don't know yeah think about it some more yeah. <laughs> Who else? What y'all got? Um, I wonder if uh, I wonder if it promoted fear a little bit though, like unintentionally, right? So I definitely understand on one hand, like get practical skills, skills that you can use, build yourself up economically, get yourself jobs and things of that nature. But also at the same time, if like does it feel fear that you can't have anything more? You know that you can't do anything better mm -hmm. and there you know white people are still eating it up because again like they're benefiting from it right, right. And so i don't know like I, I definitely understand what he was saying but i just wonder if like unintentionally it would promote fear of not trying to better yourself or or want more for yourself you know i like it go ahead no, just you mean more for yourself as in like being more than just a worker. Being more than just a worker, um, you know. Uh-oh. You breaking up? <laughs> we can't hear you, sis. Okay, she will be back, hopefully. Um, does anybody else have anything? I usually I usually let everybody else talk before I talk because right. oh she's okay. still talking. <laughs> we gonna Trish, you you going in and out? You went out for like a whole minute. You said what? You good? I'll come back when I stop. I'll come back. <laughs> okay. Got okay. you. Siobhan, um, real quick. So mm -hmm. did did you, out of what you read, did you get that he really wanted us to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He wanted us to be valuable to the white people. As long as the white people needed our services, then that was just a good place for us to be. Did you get that out of what you read? Um, I pretty much got that if we can be valuable to white people uh, in regards to providing them with a service. 
not only just the service, but I think he meant like, let's say in today's world, you're a, a master marketeer, like you're, you're a master at marketing, right? Like you are one of one in what you do. You're the best at what you do. Um, if you are that person, then basically white people won't fuck with you because they need you because you bring an expertise to the table that, uh, that they can't get anywhere else. Or maybe it's, you know, it's not many people that do what you do, if that makes sense. Or even, even uh, being a carpenter, maybe you can build stuff like nobody else or you're the best in your town or whatever. I think he was saying that if we are valuable in the work that we do, then they'll see value in us as people and not treat us the way that historically they have. That's what nope. I got from that. Just okay. factually, not that I agree with it or disagree. I'm just saying that's what I got from it. If you educate yourself and get good at something, then you'll be valuable and they won't want to hang you or kill you or mistreat you. Gotcha. Did that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Why were you asked? Why'd you ask that? Uh, because, you know, I try not to be a negative person, but I just when you read that, I only felt, I only, I only received a negative. What I received from what you read was just negative. But then the way you said it, and I, I appreciate what he said. Yeah, yeah um, I think I've gotten some interpretation for sure. Right. For sure, for sure. Um, I think, I think sometimes our thoughts get, like sometimes we have thoughts but then we only verbally say one aspect of it. And it's kind of like, that's a fuck, like why we gotta work for white people? Or why do we You know, for me, I think it's a, like, I do think we should work hard. I do think we should educate ourselves and, um, you know, just become more valuable. But I feel like we should become more valuable to us not yes. for white people granted we live in a completely different time um however i wouldn't apply what he said to today i think uh like on the uh, the last couple meetings we talked about like what our ancestors had to do just to survive like everybody can't just go out and be on a suicide mission um you know sometimes you have to humble yourself and do what you have to do just to get through the day or you know, just to survive for your family, your kids, whatever. Um, I definitely think that's coming from that mental state of just survival. What do we have to do just to survive? Mm -hmm. But I'm not in that mindset. Like, I don't want to just survive. I want to live on my own terms. So, um, yeah, I mean, without knowing him personally, I don't really know how to take that. I think it was worded terribly and it's almost coming off real coonish. <laughs> but um and then the fact that like he said that the fact that he said that in, in front of a group of white people is very coonish to me. Like you don't say something like that to a group of white people. You might say it to your people behind closed doors and say, Hey, we gotta educate ourselves and become valuable and maybe it would have came off different but you gonna say to a, a room full of white people and to the people of my race like what the whole thing just rubbed me the wrong way 
Yeah, I think that's why I had a, a hard time, like, <laughs> getting my thoughts across. Because it's just, I guess I'm also thinking of it in a mindset of, like, now. And so maybe back then, um, that was, like, a good transitional mindset, maybe. You know, just yeah. because of what they were doing before then, the skills that they had, you know, at that time, and then transferring to be more valuable. So I guess I get it in that retrospect. But, like, like you said, like, to say that now, oh, my God, like, yeah, dude, I got ate alive. <laughs> like, talk about black Twitter, but it definitely went up. Right? That's real uh, Kanye-ish. Man, yep. <laughs> man, very Kanye ish. Like, man, yeah. ridiculous. Harriet Tubman definitely probably would have been upset for sure. Um, and I don't even pay attention to Kanye, but I just see little taglines of, of stuff that he be saying. Same. Um, and that's just y'all see my emoji? Look at her. <laughs> Ain't she cute? Why you see my bun? It just makes me happy. <laughs> uh, you're on mute, mother. Learn how to work Zoom. If it makes you happy, it makes me happy. Oh, you're so sweet. Okay, so the next question for the rest of this paragraph is, how do we balance learning technical skill versus learning emotional skill? What I mean by emotional skill is like, you being just a good person like sometimes somebody might be super smart but they don't have the right people skills to form relationships or you know healthy relationships and stuff like that so how do we balance like if every day we just wake up and all we care about is how to get better at our at our job or our technical thing that we do but you aren't working on your mental or your emotional self you know, what's kind of the effect of that? How do we balance that? Does that make sense? <clears throat> yes. All right. All right, all right, all right. I'm about to finish reading. Of course, now it probably won't surprise you to hear that not all Black people saw things the way he did. Some Black folks heard what Booker T. Washington was saying about doing what white folks needed done, and they said later for that, the 14th Amendment says, I'm a citizen. If I'm a citizen, I've got rights and I should be able to do what I want. Forget about trying to do what white folks need. That mess ended, ended with slavery or should have. Why have I got to try to be useful to the white man just so he won't treat me worse than he treats a dog? I've got my own life to think about. I need to be able to vote. That's my right as a citizen. If I want to spend my life studying philosophy or French or art history, I need to be able to do that. What I want doesn't have a thing to do with the white man. One brother who felt that way was William Edward. William Edward Burgard Dubois, Dubois, W-E-B for short. He was born in Massachusetts in 1868. Talk about a black man getting educated. After he got a degree at Fisk University, Dubois went overseas to study in Berlin, then returned and became the first black person to get a PhD from Harvard. Harvard University. That man had brains coming out of his ears. One of Dubois' books is The Souls of Black Folk, which you need to read if you haven't. Dubois didn't, didn't like what Booker T. Washington was saying, and not just because he thought Black people should be able to do whatever we wanted. The way Dubois saw it, if all you told Black people to do was work, work, and work some more, you were making them into machines instead of people. 
In an essay called The Talented The Talented Tenth, Dubois wrote, if we make money the object of man training, we shall develop money makers, but not necessarily men. If we make technical skill the object of education, we may possess artisans, but not in nature men. Men we shall have only as we make manhood the object of the work of the schools, intelligence, broad sympathy, knowledge of the world that was and is, and of the relation of men to it. This is the curriculum of that higher education, which must underlie true life. Boom. <clears throat> what you guys think? I think in order to be, in order to be truly successful in in any job that you do, you of course need the technical skill to complete the mm -hmm. job, but you also have to have emotion. If, like you said, if you're if you just have all technical skills and no emotional skills, then we're we're robots. We're not humans. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you definitely need to have. We need human interaction and we need, we always need to show our, you know, our feelings. I would want a balance of both because I think even if I had technical skills and I was the best at whatever that in that field, if it didn't, mm -hmm. if I didn't have emotional feelings, then I wouldn't be balanced. I wouldn't be complete. Right. Yeah. But sometimes when you have a balance of both, one can outweigh the other and you become emotionally drained mm -hmm. on one of those sides, depending on the work and how much effort you put into it and if it's appreciated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. But you definitely have to have a, a balance between the two, but I think in order to be fully recognized, you definitely have to have more of a technical skill and then the emotionality will come afterwards. Just because um, I just think that that's the way you kind of get noticed a lot of times. Like, oh my God, they're so good at this. Oh, they're so good at that. But then you also like, cause you will have those people that are just, they only know the one thing and that's it. And you're like, is this person really real? Like, what are you doing with your life? So you definitely got to have a balance between the two, but definitely more technical skill than emotional skill, I feel like. Mm -hmm. I had a manager once, and there were clients who did not believe that she was real. Um, if, when they spoke with her on the telephone, there were quite a few uh, customers, clients, whatever, that asked if she was real or if it was a recording. Because her <laughs> technical she had her the technical skill was on point like she she knew her job she knew it in her sleep you know mm -hmm. she could give the best you know I mean whenever we had meetings or whatever she definitely had the best presentation she completely removed all emotion yeah out, out of her job go ahead and Trish. at the end of the day she was oh, not successful. so initially I looked up to her and I admired her but then the longer I worked with her, then I realized she was off the balance, that all she cared about mm -hmm. was, was the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would, um, 
I would also add, not that I think that people should operate too much out of emotion. Honestly, like I, I do think you need a very healthy balance because you don't want to be, you don't want to operate, I think, too much out of emotion. But I would say that emotion is what helps you build and establish connection with other people. And a lot yes. of times, yes. you know, it's that old saying of it's not what you know, it's who you know, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like you get those, those, those connections built, and then those technical skills will help you surpass whatever the expectation might have been. So mm-hmm. the, de- the technical skill is definitely necessity, um, but I do think a healthy balance of some emotions sprinkled in there would help you just get to the next level. Because we all know people where you look at them and they're just like, maybe they're just like extreme introverts and they're very like, they're technical. They got all the skills down. They know everything they're supposed to know. But when it comes mm-hmm. time to trying to build that connection and trying to understand them and trying to communicate with them, it just is like, Right. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't, I, I can't, I can't. Like yeah, I get it, I get it, but I can't listen to you. <laughs> and then it, you know, so I do think you need a healthy balance of both. But um, you definitely got to get those uh, connections built, and that's where some of that emotion comes into play. Right. I think um, on a superficial level, I think about like a barber that. Like, you may have a barber that uh, can cut really well, but he doesn't have good people skills. He's not going to make that much money. It don't matter how clean the haircut is or any of that. You're not going to be able to get repeat clientele. You might get somebody in your shop, but once they see how your customer service is and how your people skills are, they're not going to come back. Um, And then also, you you have barbers that have great customer service skills, great people skills, but they can't cut that good. Those are the ones that are booked up. Mm-hmm. They do the a okay haircut. Right. It's like people man, come okay, to talk they, for you. Talk with you. That's it. Yep. Yep. Like the cut isn't that great, but I feel good when I. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I tell my students all the time, like you have to get your skill levels down. You got to get your time down. But the reality is, if your personality sucks, nobody's coming to sit in your chair. Like just. Just period. Nobody's coming to sit in your chair. But if they like you, if you're personable, if you can get to know them and build a connection with them, they'll work with you. They'll work with mm-hmm. you. And I'm like, okay, she's she's getting it. Okay, next time. Next time we'll get it together. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Yeah. I think, too, from a, I think too from a from a deeper standpoint, like um Uh, I think too, from a deeper standpoint, if you if you don't have your your mental right or um, you just aren't well rounded as a person, then with your technical skill, you'll only benefit other people. If that makes sense, let's say you're a, you're a good worker, but you may not even know who you are, so you're working a job that you don't even like. So just from an individualistic uh, standpoint, if you don't find out who you are as a person first, you don't get your mental right first, then you aren't even going to, your journey is going to be all messed up as far as what your purpose is, or you may not even have a purpose if you're just a soulless person that's just work, work, work all the time. Like, who are you? What are you actually accomplishing 
on this earth while you're here or are you just working and then you die who wants to live that way you know so for me it's almost like I think there there has to be kind of an even balance but the emotional aspect is like a little bit higher just so that what you're doing is always benefiting you and your community and not just the person that you're working for and if you if you aren't a well-rounded person you aren't even going to have the creativity to say what else do i need to learn or you may you may read every book you may know all this information you have memorized it front to back but you aren't going to be you aren't going to innovate or create anything because your soul isn't even right so that's kind of what i thought about like work 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 like at what point do you figure out who you are in this world or when do you make time for family or you know like that you being well-rounded like we said makes you a better person you connect with people um you can come up with different ideas of how to push your industry forward if you're actually doing stuff outside of that world. That's just like, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's just like being a barber. If you just work, 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 you never go on vacation, you never take classes, you never, um, you know, be around other professionals, you're just going to be stuck in that one zone forever. The shop owner going to be happy because he's still getting his 250 or whatever every week out of you. He happy that you're not learning new stuff or, you know what I'm saying? You only benefiting that man or your clients who paying you $20 for a cut. They happy you ain't, you ain't going to new classes. That mean you ain't going up on your prices. <laughs> you're not going to be more booked. You're just going to be in the same spot all the time, benefiting everybody else around you but yourself. I don't want to live that way at all. All right. We good on that? Anybody got anything to add before we go on? I think we lost on Titicia. Okay, next question before I forget. Ma, you had something or no? No, go ahead, baby. Okay. Don't call me baby. I'm grown. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just playing, just playing. You ain't never going okay. to your mama. But. I know, right? <laughs> She's like, go ahead, Bonnie Poo. I'm listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, baby. Do your thing. Go ahead. Right. <laughs> when, she, when she first came on, she was just sitting there smiling at me. I'm like, Ma, stop smiling, bro. <laughs> Mommy creeps, man. For real, I hear real. you. I hear you. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey. Okay, so the next question is, how do you view the NAACP? What influence does the NAACP have on Black people today? Like, who are they, uh, who are they to us in our community? You like that question, Tristan? <laughs> oh, who are they today? That's a good, that's a good question. <laughs> Where they at? Okay. <laughs> uh -oh. Okay, okay, okay. Boom. The founding of the NAACP. In the 19th century, Black folks couldn't win for losing. 
Things looked good for a while. In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln announced the end of slavery with the Emancipation Proclamation. It was worth, it's worth noting that the Emancipation Proclamation only applied to those people enslaved in Confederate states, which the Union and thus Lincoln didn't control at the time anyway. While those Black folks enslaved in border states in the North had to wait until December of 1865 when the 13th Amendment was finally ratified to be freed, Remember, I already told you, Lincoln didn't care about Black people one way or another. We were a means to a political end for him. But in 1865, the slaveholding states that made up the Confederacy lost the war, and it was a new day for Black folks, or at least it seemed that way. Reconstruction started, but was short-lived. Black folks didn't go back to being slaves, and we still had the legal right to vote because of the 15th Amendment, which got passed in 1870. But that didn't stop Southerners from harassing Blacks at the polls and making us take all kinds of stupid tests before we could get anywhere near a ballot box. So Black people could vote, but we couldn't vote. Now, it wasn't enough for some white folks that Blacks were prevented from voting or serving in office because Black people weren't slaves anymore. We were getting jobs that whites felt entitled to. Whites didn't like that a bit. Plus, how could white folks feel they were better than Blacks if Blacks were free just like them? Some black people had even been congressmen and senators. A lot of white folks didn't like that either. They started getting resentful as if they were the ones who had something to be resentful about. They got so pissed off at black people that they, that they started lynching us. Between the mid 1880s and 1900, more than 2,500 folks were lynched. Most of these were black folks and most of the lynchings were in the Southern states. And those are just the ones we know about after they finally started keeping track. It wasn't just lynchings either. Sometimes whole black neighborhoods got burned down. If word got out that some black person had done some white person wrong, even if it hadn't happened, which was usually the case, the next thing you knew, there was a white mob beating and killing the accused black person, torching his house. It didn't happen just in the South either. In Springfield, Illinois in 1908, a couple of black men accused of rape and murder, which they hadn't committed, were transferred from one prison to another before a mob could lynch them. That upset the mob so bad, they burned up $200,000 worth of Black folks' property. That was the racial climate at the time, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or the NAACP, got started. Folks today talk about climate change. Some climates change, some don't. In 1909, the year after the Springfield riot, a group of Black and white folks decided that enough was enough. Matter of fact, the white folks were the ones who called the first meeting. Only a handful of Black folks were involved at the beginning, including Mary, Mary Church Terrell, Ida B. Wells, and W.E.B. Dubois. Still, it wasn't as if Black folks hadn't been active in our own defense up to that point. In 1905, Dubois and another Black man, William Monroe Trotter, had started the Niagara Movement to oppose discrimination and fight for Black people's rights. But half the, but half the fighting the group did was, was with one another. They couldn't agree on which candidate to support for president or on other issues. Things got so bad that Trotter left the group in 1907, and by the time the NAACP formed, Dubois told the handful of members left in the Niagara movement to throw their support behind the NAACP. Dubois headed up the NAACP's magazine, The Crisis, which is still being published today. Now, hard as they tried, the NAACP couldn't get Congress to pass anti-lynching laws. There were too many racist congressmen and senators for that. And even if they weren't racist themselves, some of the voters in their districts were, and those voters had long memories. 
The NAACP did publish a report, 30 Years of Lynching in the United States, 1889 to 1919, that became the talk of the land and helped lead to a decline in the number of lynchings. The NAACP had its national office in New York City and field offices in Boston, Washington, Detroit, and other cities, and it spread out even more. In the 1930s, when the Depression hit and the whole country was suffering and Blacks were suffering worse, the NAACP, NAACP fought to get Black folks jobs. The NAACP was also behind the cases that got combined in Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas in 1954, which was when the U.S. Supreme Court decided that school segregation and the Constitution didn't see eye to eye. Since then, the NAACP has been involved in activities ranging from civil rights movement to the fight to get more Black characters on TV shows like The West Wing. Even though we were emerging from slavery, moving through Reconstruction and fighting Jim Crow, the foundation for Black solidarity through the creation and development of strong organizations was forming. It wasn't always perfect and we made more than our fair share of mistakes, but we found that there were strength in numbers. And just like during the Middle Passage on the plantation fields and in the Maroon hideaways, we still had each other's back. So, how do you guys feel about the NAACP? <clears throat> Y'all want me to go first? I can go first. Uh, okay. Go uh, okay, so this is my thought, right? And maybe I'm just out of touch, which is totally possible, but like, I do not hear anything about the NAACP right now. So like, even though I'm, you know, thrilled about what they have done for mm -hmm. people in the past, I could not tell you the last time I have, I have not heard anything about the NAACP. And so with that being said, I really don't know what they do, right? Mm -hmm. Or what they are doing currently and how they are being, I, I would, I'm only assuming that they are beneficial to the black community. I'm just, I'm going to give it that much assumption and that much benefit of the doubt, but I truly have not heard anything for real, for real about the NAACP. Like I, I, I couldn't mm -hmm. even tell you, I couldn't tell you anything about them. And yeah. so that tells yeah. me that like either A, I'm not looking in the right places, but they're also not making themselves very known in today's time. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Especially with the with social media. There's no way in the world, like, I'm not following an NAACP page. You know, I'm not saying they don't have right. one, but that should have been came up. Like, that would have popped up <laughs> right. in my Instagram somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So it's, it's a very interesting thing because especially in the climate that we're in right now, this, this would be the time. Like, I should, your, your presence should be made very known to me. At this particular mm -hmm. moment, I should know. I should be able to go right to the page, just like we went to Ben and Jerry's page and saw them yeah. some posts. Just right. like we were talking about Sprite. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I should go right. Did you see what the NAACP put? They was agreeing with Black Twitter. Did you see they liked uh, a post? You know what I'm saying? Right, um, something like that. So I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. That's that's my thought. I don't know, but I find it very interesting that I don't know. You know? Right. For sure. I'm uh I'm looking at their Instagram page right now. They have one point seven million followers. Okay. Um I mean I don't know. 
<laughs> I feel like I've heard more from ACLU than NAACP. Like I, I agree. Like I, when is the last time you heard them talk about uh, make a public statement or uh, be involved in something like all these um, protests and riots been happening? Like I haven't heard of anything. Literally nothing. So like. And then I feel like you like, am I just tweaking? No, I'm not just seeing it. It's like, I have no idea because I literally, this probably the first time I heard about NAACP since we learned about it from forever ago. So, like, right. yeah. Right. And apparently, look, I just looked on their Twitter. The last time they posted something was May 29th. And... <laughs> Well, that's what's pinned to the top of the page, but I don't know. Like it's like you you would think it would be more prevalent, especially in the the climate that that we in right now. Like you, we should be hearing updates from y'all like almost hourly, <laughs> like all the time. But I have nobody said. Well, did you see what NAACP said? Like no, it's none of that at all. So it's crazy. Yeah. I I will I'm a, I'm a second trist on the idea that maybe they're doing work that we just aren't seeing. Um however there also may be uh like a disconnect. Like who who do you think is like in charge of the NAACP? I'm sure somebody that's older, um, no offense mom. <laughs> but it's probably somebody that is older, disconnected from social media, that wouldn't even understand how to connect with a younger audience on social media. Um, and just looking at their page, it seems very early Martin Luther King-ish. Which, to me, is not very, like, I hate to say it, but young people don't care about voting. Young people don't care about you having a forum to talk about X, Y, and Z. Like we don't, we don't care about that. And I know a couple meetings ago, we talked about the aesthetic of our leaders and our organizations. If it's not attractive, people aren't going to hear you. You can't put out a flyer with you in suits and, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what is making me listen to you? Cause just looking at this, I mean, who is in charge of y'all y'all page? Like, if you go on like Revolt TV, Revolt is like, fuck y'all, a red Brenna Taylor's killer. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like in your face, and I think that's what me generation is used to. Like, we don't want to sit here and read an article, even though I, but we don't want to sit here and read an article or to a forum where y'all about x y and z or what we have to do to sit at white people's tables ain't nobody trying to hear can we hear some independence can we hear some something with some fire some passion like i feel like people are just going through the motions of okay let's sit down to talk about doing x y and z or you know let's talk to this white corporation see if they can benefit us in this kind of way ain't nobody trying to hear that i'm not trying to hear that so, I mean, just, I wonder if these 1.7 million people are, 
But it, it just seems very like I'm sure it's a lot of white people that follow this page, and they're just like, see, they're scheduling meetings, <laughs> right? Like I just just how just how Martin Luther King made white people comfortable because he said, you know, nonviolence, turn mm-hmm. on the cheek. We're gonna mm-hmm. sit down and see how we can become better friends with the white people. Like, and no offense to Martin Luther King, like he was doing what he felt was the answer, you know. But at the same time, what makes white people comfortable is not attractive to us. Definitely not now. Definitely not now. That's I feel just, like we're getting we're getting back into that that technical versus emotional kind of skill thing too. Mm-hmm. You know, just like you got to have a balance between the two. You know, you can't, mm-hmm. one sidedness is not going to get you anywhere. You know, you got to have a balance to appeal to both masses, to, to appeal to the younger generation and the older gen- generation, and mm-hmm. find that balance in between the two so we can educate each other and grow together right. like that as well. So. I went to the. You would have to want to do that too, because I think with 1.2 million followers, there's no excuse uh, why you're not more visible on social media the way you should be. You know, so somebody in your organization, I feel like you would have to want to reach out and resonate with that younger generation too. Like there's somebody around you that's saying Instagram is where you're, where a different audience is and we need to reach them as well. We want them to vote more. Okay, we need to reach out to them more, you know? So mm-hmm. with 1.2 million followers, there's no excuse why it's not reaching the way it should be reaching. Right. I mean, their page is boring as hell. It's a bunch of people. In nah, I bet. <laughs> and here's the thing. So I'm on their page now and it, and it asked if you wanted to volunteer. So, okay, I'm interested. I want to volunteer. But they're saying that as a volunteer, you'll call in or text Black voters and encourage them to use their power at the ballot. Is that your only, that's your only goal? Because there's so much more going on in the world right now. Wow. Mm -hmm. So that's the only thing Mm -hmm. I can volunteer for is just calling other Black people to get them to vote. That makes no sense. None at all. The last meeting, right, but like I said, very Martin Luther King-ish. Two two things. Um, A couple months ago, I was listening to this guy. He's called 19 Keys on Instagram. He's a member of the Nation of Islam, and I think it was him. I think it was him. I hope it was him because I'm giving him credit for saying it, but uh, he basically said, when you allow white people to donate to your organization or they have some type of financial power in your organization then you have to censor yourself and control what you put out because now you're relying on them to pay your salary or pay your bills so you can't put out certain posts or certain information because you got to keep the peace with the white people that's hey we're helping you guys but don't do something that makes me feel uncomfortable don't make don't do something that's gonna make me feel like you don't want to be my friend anymore. Yep. Mm. You know? Yep. So yep. I think that's very powerful when it's like, even if it's unconscious. Yeah. Oh, you know, maybe that's not the best thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Revolt TV ain't got <laughs> no white dollars. 
you know, I know I'm I know I'm speaking in general, but I'm sure they got some supporters. But Revolt right. TV is completely independent from the white dollar. So they right. don't care nothing about what you're talking about. This ain't yep. for you. This is for our yep. people. Revolt TV is for us. You know, but the NAACP just looking at their page, it seems like they trying to be for everybody. And that ain't yeah. that ain't gonna solve our problem at all. That's not work. That's not gonna work. It's not and then unfortunately not. it makes you <laughs> it makes you know better than like these political parties, right? Because all of these political parties, you just gotta follow the money. Like if you donate, I'm gonna put your priorities before everybody else's. So I gotta mm-hmm. keep my donors happy. So if the wrong donors are donating to your organization, your priorities are not gonna be who it was meant to be for. Right. It's just not going to be that. There's no time. There's no room on the table for what's really important to, you know, a young black minority woman. There's no, there's no time. There's no room on the table for me. I didn't donate millions of dollars to your organization, but whatever else that they wanted to make time for, they're going to make time for. And that's how mm-hmm. all of these big old companies work. Political, right. non-political, it's all about follow the money. Right. And that, that's just really unfortunate that if that's the real mm-hmm. case, that's what it seems like. That's that's really unfortunate. That's really mm-hmm. unfortunate because you have a, a position right now. You have an opportunity to really make your presence known, to really get supported. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. you have a huge platform. You're the NAACP. You have a huge platform. This will be a right. great opportunity to, to gain new young black supporters. And you're, you're doing absolutely right. nothing to try to enhance. Like you said, young people don't really care about voting. You know how hard it's going to be to get a certain demographic at the polls? Like it's, yep. it's, right. it's going to be so difficult to do that. Right. Especially when they know that ain't going to change my situation. That's like they're, nothing. Like, they're going to, like a, a 20-year-old black man right now, well, go on their page and like fall asleep. What mm-hmm. like what <laughs> definitely wouldn't hit follow. So right. I think and again, we gonna we're gonna say again, just for the record, I'm sure they are doing a lot of work that we don't see. However, sure. you can't be disconnected from the very people that you're trying to help. Help. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I mean, get a twenty five year old and put him in charge of the Instagram. <laughs> so at they can translate. So they can translate at least what you're doing to, you know what I'm saying, to get people to. I guarantee, I guarantee, if I ask a, a 18 year old right now, just go outside and ask an 18 year old somewhere. You know what the NAACP is? They might not even know what it is. That's not okay. So yeah. then it makes you think: Who are you getting your support from? Right. Right. And that the thing you the thing you brought up about uh uh voting or whatever um that was my second point that I was gonna bring up the guy Claude Anderson that I was talking about on the last uh the last session mm-hmm. voting means absolutely nothing if you have no economic power right it's a it's a waste of a vote we love to say oh you gotta get out and vote you gotta vote you gotta vote they don't care about us the Democrats don't care about us. Right. If we can't if we can't buy them, they're not gonna do nothing to advance our community. Period. Yeah. That's Period. just what it is. So, Period. <laughs> so <laughs> you you telling people, Oh, get out and vote, get out and vote. Like just like you were saying last session, it's like picking between the lesser of two evils. 
And the lesser is probably still a shitty ass fucking choice. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what it's almost like why every time I try to get into politics, I just get irritated. I can't even do it. Anytime can't even both do it. sides is telling you, well, what do you have to lose? Mm. Everything. <laughs> what? What do we have to gain? Right. Straight up, what do we have to gain? Help me outside of getting Trump out of office because that cannot be right. the sole reason why you want to win. Right. It can't be. It cannot be. It cannot be the sole yeah. reason. No, after a certain demographic, nobody cares. After a certain generational point, nobody cares the way that you want us to care. It can't be about Trump. It cannot be that. What do we have to gain? Mm-hmm. Don't hit me with the what do we have? How how are you gonna ask me what do we have to lose? And you want my vote? What? Right. How about what? I not fuck with none of y'all? I could just not At fuck all. with none of y'all. <laughs> we could do At our all. own thing. For real? You think Asians At vote? All. For real? You think Asians you vote? You think the Jews vote? I, I don't. I think they do. They may vote, but just if you if y'all if y'all look up the guy Claude Anderson, um, I spoke about him on the last session. He talks about selling, not selling, but uh, what's the word? Like, hey, what are you gonna do for us? Okay, you gonna do that for us? Okay, cool. We gonna give you X amount of dollars, and we gonna tell all our people to vote for you. That's what they do. Right. Lobbying. They don't care. They don't care about. They lobby, and that's it. They don't care about. You know, is this guy a good person? And what does his wife look like? And is he gay? Or they don't care about none of that. Don't what matter. you gonna do for us? Okay, cool. We gonna pay you. We gonna tell all our people. You gonna get our vote as a collective. Yeah, that's what the NAACP should be doing if they were doing it like really right. They should be reaching out to the communities, really trying to get an understanding of what's going on, what we feel like we want, and then as that platform, you take all of that. We lobbied for you, and now this is as this is how we're coming to you. I got all of my black supporters behind me, and we're saying, "What are you gonna do? Oh, you're gonna do this? Now I can pull all of my supporters that's behind me. I'm gonna tell them to vote for you." That's what they should be doing. Yeah, right. Or at least seem like they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the what's the what's their name again? I don't even know. Let me see. I'm gonna try to find it. National Advancement of Colored People. National mm-hmm. Association for the Advancement of Colored People. How have we advanced? What y'all are advancing? Still calling us <laughs> These things, okay, these <laughs> what? Like, change the name, like, <laughs> like, and I don't like the colored people. Can we just be people of color? How about that? Like, I don't I know. Mean, like, I, I don't know. You still calling us a colored people? I, I feel some type of way. <laughs> honestly. Honestly, for me, I don't I don't like the color people, but I also don't like people of color because I feel like people of color ain't all together. That's too broad. Mm-hmm. We talking about black people. I'm gonna say be black specific. People we talking about us. Be specific. I don't even I don't even say people of color. I'm talking about black yeah. people. Now my Hispanic I said, friends. I definitely did that. <laughs> I changed my rhetoric. Yeah. My Hispanic friends, I love y'all. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's how we were saying with relationships. You be independent. We gonna be motherfucking independent. And then we come together independently. Yep. As two separate fists. You know what I'm saying? But we not finna put put us all together because we have different issues within our community. 
is, is, is different. You figure out your issues and what you got to do to solve your problems, we going to solve ours. And whenever that shit overlaps, we work together. But we are still separate groups. It's not, we ain't just, no, all brown people. Hell, you know how many people are considered brown? That's right. <laughs> That's right. No. Can I ask a question? Okay, I'm going to ask a question to moms. Like, just being from, um, just being from a different generation, like, what are your thoughts about it? Okay. Um, I have had more issues with my own race than I have with any other race. Mm -hmm. I think, and it goes back generations. And gen there's so, there's such a huge division amongst African Americans, amongst the Black people. Mm -hmm. We are so busy trying to outdo the next person that we don't mm -hmm. help each other. And I and I don't like that. I have mm -hmm. I have a mixture of of people that I am close with. I don't use the F word because everybody's not your friend, but I do have women of other ethnicities that I do have relationships with. And they have been more loving towards me and just more supporting and more understanding than my own sisters. Mm -hmm. You know, they, I have black women that will look at me and say, you don't understand the struggle because you're light. I said, are we still going? I mean, that's something that's so old. Like, I, I, do you still, you still believe that? Do you still believe that just because I'm light that I have, like I have a special key or I have a special door that I walk through? No, I, I have the same struggles and the same issues that you do. And I just, you know, everybody on this Black Lives Matter, to me, Black Lives will matter to other ethnicities when Black Lives Matter to us. So I, 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 don't know how, I don't know how we come together as, as a race. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what needs to happen. There's just a lot of negativity within our own nationality. So how do we how do we improve? How do we grow? How do we succeed as a race when we're so against each other? All right. I don't know. I wish I'm gonna, I had. I'm gonna caveat, caveat off the uh, the Black Lives Matter comment you said. I feel like. I feel like even for our uneducated, negative Black people, we have to care and love them as well. Mm. And not and not just say, oh, you negative or y'all negative or Black people so negative, I'm not dealing with y'all. Because then that almost becomes a self-hate kind of thing where it's it becomes a disconnect where, oh, y'all are so negative. I'm gonna go over here and be with these people because they're more loving. Because then that 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 spreads us even more. So we have to. Not that I'm saying I disagree with you what you said, Mom, but we have to find a way to bring those people into the fold, if that makes sense. But how do we change the mindset? Do you know? I one of my you know my sister circles, whatever the women that I that I have in my life, the black women, they could have a negative. Uh, interaction with a white person or, or a person of, uh, of a different ethnicity 
and they right. don't they don't say I'm sure they do but they don't say anything about it but the mm -hmm. second they go to a black owned establishment and mm -hmm. the customer service is not up to par they want to bash that company yeah. or that store or that restaurant we are harder <laughs> on ourselves than we are on other ethnicities Mm -hmm. So why you go now? You now you spreading that I shouldn't go to this restaurant or I shouldn't shop at this particular boutique because you know it, it's black owned and the customer service sucks. But Macy, I mean, you're not complaining about you know the white woman that checked right. you out at Macy's right. or at JC Penney's. So I just something has to happen within our within our race. I think yeah. that I think that we change attitudes by leading by example and knowing how to emotionally handle those conversations. Mm -hmm. So for people for people that that I hear say stuff like that, I don't even I let them speak and I let them know that their their thoughts and their experiences are valid, but I always come back with something positive. You know? Right. So if it's um if it's Oh, you know, every time I come in here and I get a black server or whatever, she always got an attitude and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, for one, you got to realize that black people go through more shit than any other race in this country. That's just for one, especially darker appearing people. And then two, you never know what's going on with that person. Like you can't just, you can't let that energy transfer to you. Right. You got always got to come combat it with love, you know? Like even even if even if your server or whoever the person on the phone or whatever if they be a nasty, you have to have an emotional shield over yourself to say I love you more than you hate me right now. Absolutely. Right. And that and right. that and that be it and that be it and not even bring it up later. You know what I mean? Like I feel like I do that. I'm gonna combat your negative energy. I'm either one gonna ignore it or two. I'm gonna be so nice to you that you don't even feel right talking to me like that. Like and then I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go to the next person and say, This black chick was in there, she had this funky ass attitude. I'm not even gonna do that. Because guess what? The person that you're telling that story to is unconsciously gonna remember that. And the next right. time he right. go into a store and he see a black woman at the counter, he's gonna unconsciously think, damn, this bitch about to have an attitude. Right. That's how right. we that's how we spread negative energy and negative hate. As opposed yes. to like we were talking about on the other sessions, instead of talking about all of the, the negative people you encounter, why not highlight the positives of the ones? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh I went to this store and this dope ass black girl was sitting at the counter, she had this dope energy and it just you know, automatically when you see another black girl at the counter or working at another establishment, you're going to approach that counter with a different type of aura and energy about yourself. Because this is about to be a good experience. You know what I'm saying? So I think we combat it by educating with love. Like my, uh, my friends, like my guy friends that I go to school with, they didn't have, you know, the easiest upbringing. And a lot of times with me, um, I mean, yeah, I, I grew up in Chicago, but I was also sheltered. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm not a street person. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like <clears throat> I've been I've been around it enough to relate to them and bridge the gap. But I'm also mm -hmm. able to tell them 
I understand where you're coming, bro, but let me tell you how if you do X, Y, and Z, it's going to benefit you in this way as opposed to, oh, you always negative or you always trying to fight somebody or you always, it's, bro, I hear you. I understand where you're coming from. However, X, Y, and Z, you know, I speak with love. I speak with education. I speak from experience. And it's like they may not get it the first time. It's some of these guys I've been going to school with for months. Like I had a guy tell me today, like, you know, sis, when you tell me stuff, I don't be wanting to hear it, but you be right though. You be right. <laughs> and later on in later on in the day, like before I left, he just randomly came up to me and he was like, Sis, I love you. And he just gave me a hug. You know what I'm saying? This is after months of me feeding into him, like, you know, like you're valuable. You you shouldn't waste your time on negative energy and you can't feed into that. It, you know what I'm saying? So I think I think it comes with love. I think it comes with education. And I think it comes with setting boundaries around ourselves where I'm not going to let your negativity affect me. I'm going to do my best to turn your mindset around. Uh, can I add just to, um, to, uh, to not only controlling it with love and education, but I think also acknowledgement um, mm-hmm. because my aunt does this and like, I don't know, she always impresses me when she does things like this, but like, say we have a rude server or something like that, black or white, right? She immediately stops and she goes, hello, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And yes. it's something yeah. about that. Now, my, it doesn't work every single time, but nine mm-hmm. times out of 10, it works. And it's something about that initial acknowledgement that makes the person kind of like click, uh, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what it is, but it's just they're instantly like, oh, man, it was a long day. And she's like, right. oh, yeah, I understand, I understand. And then right. it just immediately, like, lifts their energy. And she she's, I don't know, my auntie is brilliant, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. brilliant. Because I'm just like, how did you know to do that? And I think um, a lot of times acknowledging situations just, that, that brings a lot of clarity the situation and mm-hmm. I also mm-hmm. wanted to just touch on the comment about the lighter skin and the darker skin you are absolutely correct like it is it is a very old problem yes. to yeah. have right um but I do want to say just being of a darker skin complexion right and being from women the majority of the women in my family are all darker skin and actually darker than I am um it's something in us as, as we're, we're taught in us, right? And it's so unfortunate because the way we express it is by attacking the other one. Like, well, you don't understand because you're lighter skin. You know what I'm saying? You don't understand. And it is unfortunately something that's in us that makes us, I don't want to say self-hating, but it's bothersome. You know what I'm saying? My best friend of the last um, like 15 years is lighter than I am. And for years going through high school, I just felt that she was, I always knew I was pretty, but I knew people would prefer her over me. And it's just really, it's something within us. And it's like, when you say, how do you change the mindset? I don't know if you always can change the mindset, but I know it starts with teaching the baby. It comes with teaching the young girls. Like, that's your sis, light brown. It don't matter what color she is. That is your sister. Right. She's going through the same struggles as you are. You line us up against the wall, and we all got the same problem. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but it's like it's teaching that self-esteem. Like, don't put us against each other. It's all this media. Like, don't put us against each other. I actually had a man tell me once, um, it looks better when there's a darker man and a lighter woman. What? Like, how ignorant, like, how ignorant is that? You know what I'm saying? But also being young, how do you, that, I mean, that's a, that's a stab to the chest. You know what right. And so it's like, like this group, like this platform that you've created, even within this book club, like these are the moments that it starts to change the mindsets of people because we all realize we got the same thought process going on. It don't matter what that skin complexion is, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I, yeah. That was, that was I want to, I think, um, I think we'll probably talk more about the colorism stuff because that may go on for a little bit. I definitely got some stuff to say about that. Um, we're going to talk about that and then we'll probably end. Otherwise, we might go into two and a half hours again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, now. <laughs> yeah. I got off the phone last time or off the phone last time and I'm just like, oh my, I was hungry. I had to use the bathroom. It was terrible. Man. <laughs> I got to use the bathroom dead. right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> uh, right. I was so hungry. But um, I think I will. I'm going to slightly disagree with you, mom, about uh, we have, like, we go through the, the same things. I don't think that I agree with that. I think to a certain extent we do. However, it's the analogy we use. Like, we always use the analogy of handicapped people. For mm-hmm. somebody that says, uh, oh, walk in the store. And then you tell a handicapped person, walk in the store. We're both human. However, you get to just use your feet and walk up the stairs and do what you got to do. I got to take the ramp and go around on the other side. And, you know, we, we're, we're coming from the same place. However, I think it's important to acknowledge that, yes, I'm Black, you're Black. However, even within that, we have different challenges. There are doors that lighter-skinned African-Americans get to walk into that darker skinned African Americans don't get to. And I don't think that you even realize it because you don't live like I don't I don't have dark skin. So there's no way I don't even know what discrimination is. I don't I've never had a cop pull me over and, and disrespect me or treat me any kind of way or talk to me crazy or even just seeing how some of my, my darker sisters Like, Wait, you going in and out? Um, basically, I'm just saying, like, I have seen darker men and women be treated differently. Like, let's say one time, and I go through the line, everybody's nice, blah, 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 blah. But we, we didn't necessarily look like we were together. You know what I'm saying? So I go through the line, boom. And then he go through the line, and he like, bro, what was wrong with them? And I'm like, what you mean? Like, what happened? You know what I'm saying? He was like, man, I was, you know, trying to talk to the lady and, you know, he a big gentle giant. So he, hey, how you doing? Whatever, whatever. And like, they just, not they, but some of the people behind the counter was just kind of being real standoffish. You know what I mean? That's just like a, a recent example. However, I think that's just, that just shows like, even though I went through the line and he went through the line and we both got our food, it was a completely different experience for him. 
So I think even within our community, we have to bridge the gap where lighter skinned African-Americans say, hey, to my dark friends, I understand where y'all coming from. I understand your experience is a little different than mine. And then on the other side, our darker skinned African-Americans have to realize, hey, that's my sister. It ain't her fault that she light. It ain't her fault. Yep. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, like, how do we get rid of this bullshit in, within our own community so that we can come together and, and be a whole? But I think it takes acknowledgement on both sides or even the darker skin African-Americans looking at someone that's lighter and saying, I understand how you feel when people tell you you ain't really black. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it has to be because that affects us as well. Go ahead, Mom. Right. Okay. Now, growing up, Lisa was my best friend and we were known as salt and pepper i'm light mm-hmm. she's dark but <laughs> we but we never had any issues there were never any issues where a brother put me down you know i i i yeah i disagree siobhan and the reason why i say i disagree is because gala and i gala is darker than i am we're two mm-hmm. years apart and i don't see that Gayla has gone through anything negative that I didn't go through. And being mm-hmm. with Lisa, like we were truly best friends. We did everything together. So I don't see that somebody, that a door was opened up for me that wasn't open for Lisa or Gayla or somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's just my own personal experience. Right. Somebody, mm-hmm. you know, was nice to me, but then mean to them because they're darker than I am. Now, I will say that there's a difference in how African-American women, irregardless of, of your color, are treated than African-American men. Mm-hmm. Now, your dad being as big as he is and as dark as he is, he has definitely been mistreated by different nationalities and including his own race because mm-hmm. of the darkness of his skin and because of how big he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I agree. I think that um, not to say, not to say that, uh, not to say that you haven't experienced any kind of adversity or issues, because obviously anybody that you work with knows that you're black. Um, But I, but I think it, I think it comes to, uh, Trish, like we were saying before, for a white person that has never experienced prejudice, right. how can you even, you know, like for me, it's, I, I have, I have heard experiences from my dark friends and it's like, oh my God, like that has never happened to me. Like, right. why would something like that happen to you? You know what I'm saying? And I can't put my finger on it. The only thing I can say is like, it has to be because you're black and you're dark on top of that. You know, like I, I've, like people say, oh, you know, I had an interaction with this cop and he was escalating the situation and he was, you know, extremely disrespectful or just, it's like, man, I never, like, I've been pulled over so many times. I got so many speeding tickets. Every uh, time. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, I'm grown, Ma, I love you. <laughs> every time, every time they put on my ticket, white female, every single time. And I have never had a wow. cop. I have never had a cop disrespect me or talk to me any. It's always, 
how you doing? And blah, super nice all the time, every time. You know what I'm saying? But I have friends where that wasn't their experience. And we talked about the same city. You know what I mean? So it's like, what? And you don't think that would have anything to do with the negative aura that was coming off of your, your friend? No. Okay. I would, I would say, I would say two things, right? And I, I think, I always say like, for me, I, I show up in the world and you know exactly who I am when I show up, right? Being mm-hmm. the color that I am. I could even be Cuban, right? Because Cubans come dark as me, darker than me, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. Right? But they're assumed, like, if you just saw them, you'd be like, they're black. Like straight mm-hmm. off the straight off the cuff, you're black, right? And so seeing that, um, sometimes I think before even walking up, there's already a preconceived idea, right? Because of, of, of my of who, mm-hmm. who I am, right? Which can alter how um, how you interact with me, right? Because it's it's clear as day what I'm what I'm going to show up. Whereas for Siobhan, it's a little different, right? Um, and then two, I would. If you're still friends with your with your friend, I would ask her. Yeah, I would just ask her if she has ever felt like that. And the only reason why is because, like I was telling you, my best friend is light skin, but I've never brought it to her attention. The the feelings or the interactions that I receive, like being okay. next to her, right? Um, gotcha. Because I know it's not her fault. She can't help that she light skin. I'm wise enough to understand that that ain't got nothing to do with her or me, right? right. But she's lighter skinned. She has hazel eyes. Um, and I find it just being a younger adult, I find it being um, more social interactions. I see it a lot more with men. I see it a lot more with different color people. Um, but it's, it's more in a social way. Like I haven't had, you know, crazy experiences with the law and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I had mm-hmm. one experience, but that was with a white woman. Um, but I, I had never brought it to her attention until very recently. And I just asked her, like, how did you feel growing up in high school being lighter skinned you know what I'm saying like how did that make you feel and she was telling me her struggles too like you know people thinking that you automatically think that you're better than yes you know <laughs> somebody else because right. I am light skinned or uh like you know excuse my language mom but they were like I, you know I thought you were a bitch because you didn't talk or anything because yep. you just look real Absolutely. mean Be- yeah. you know what I'm saying because mm-hmm. you like it you it's stuck like, up you like, conceded yep right yeah. right and so it's like, that's a conversation we had never had before, honestly, a couple of months ago. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't something that mattered to us. Like, I don't care that she's like, since she don't care that I'm dark skin. But in a lot of social settings, our interactions have been very different. Like, to this day, and this is no joke, I'm 30. But to this day, I know if I go out to, let's say, Blue Martini, right, with her, mm-hmm. I know, or uh, I know, shadow of a doubt. She is going to have more attention on her than I will. Mm-hmm. I promise. It's not to say I don't get attention. It's not to say that it affects my self-esteem because I'm past that. But I understand being in the room with her, for whatever reason, the majority of the eyes turn right to her. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that is directly because of the fact that, A, she has a crazy big booty. And <laughs> oh, well, that's it. <laughs> No, because if I had a big booty, like big that light skin would beat me out. I'm it's just I just yeah. feel like it's the fact of the matter. It's, it's that light 
Yeah. But so I had a young girl, a young black girl about three weeks ago. She looked me, first of all, I smiled, I spoke. And when I spoke, I genuinely spoke from my heart because I was smiling at her when I spoke to her. And she looked me up and down. She's like, are you white? And I'm thinking, oh, you, you oh. ignorant. Mm-hmm. Like, you just ignorant. Like, I, what? Oh. And I said, I'm a little bit of everything. I said, I'm a mutt. I said, I have a little bit of everything in me. But that, I'm like, like, what's your point? So because I have some white in me, like, I just don't understand what, you, what she got out of asking that me that. Is. And looking right. me up and down. Like, what, what was the point of all that? And she was a young girl. She had to be like 23, 24. Mm. And I'm just, like, to me, that's taught. Like, somebody taught her yeah, to look like light-skinned people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's the and thing. And then, out of all, the, and Siobhan, you know, I've been in corporate America since I was 16. I had you when I was 25. Never has one other ethnicity looked at you and said you were an albino. Never out of all, you know, I, I showed a lot of your pictures to a whole lot of people. <laughs> Never once did a white or Asian or no other ethnicity looked at you and said you're an albino. If I show mm-hmm. your picture to someone outside of the family, they're like, oh, she's an albino? And I'm like, no, as they instantly think you are. So why is it that Blacks think you're an albino, <laughs> but no other ethnicity looks at you and, say, and says you're an albino? I think it's... Um... I think it's a matter of, like, I learned this watching crime shows, but when you have, it's like cross-racial identification. So Mm -hmm. if you have, uh, for white people, they can pick out different white people. Yep, that's Bob, that's Jill. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Bob and Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all say I gotta use the bathroom, Dad. Chill out. Um, but when you, I think it's a matter of that all they see is, oh, you're black, but you're super light. She's super light. And that's all they see. They don't see nothing beyond that. But black people have the ability to see different characteristics within our race. So I think it's a matter of them just trying to put me in a box or it's like, okay, you light, you got this hair and blah, blah, blah. You look just like my uncle. That's albino. Are you albino? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't... Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's like a, a relational thing because my mom's best yeah. friend, um, y'all look just alike, except for she ain't got locks. So, like, yeah, it's just when, when you see, especially when you're, like, a kid and they tell you and you're just like, oh, it's locked in your head. Like, that's it. Cool, got it. But not right. that I would ever act any differently towards that person or anything like that. Like, it was just right. like, oh, okay, knowledge, I know. And then... Also, you read it in your science book and all that stuff. So I think right, it, it right. comes like with with how you know how it was told to you or anything like that. It's just like when you little, you don't know you black until somebody say you black. You know, you just right. like I look like everybody around me. You know, yeah. so like any anybody that uh, like I didn't I didn't really start saying I was albino until maybe a couple months ago, but I feel Why? like. Because I think I am. That's a discussion for later, though. Okay. <laughs> but when I say I am, Black people are like, oh, that's cool. I got a cousin that's albino. And that's it. Yeah. We move on. There's nothing to talk about. 
But when I say, like before, when I would say, no, I'm not albino, I'm black, it turned into a whole fucking science project where now I got to explain <laughs> to you why I'm like this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Because it, do- it doesn't make sense. I wouldn't, I believe me. Like you, what? So what, how, what? Okay, no, I need a breakdown. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. I don't think it, and, and I wasn't there when that person asked you or whatever, but I've never had anybody ask me. Majority of the time, they ask me in a professional way, like one-on-one. They kind of wait for it to come up. And it's like, hey, so are you? And it's cool. Like, it's nothing. It's never like, oh, are you albino? Like, oh, ugh. Like, it, it's not like a disgust or it's just, hey, right. I don't know. It's just like somebody asking, like, what's your ethnicity? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I had a, a non-black person ask me recently if I was albino, and I said, yeah. And then she was like, oh, that's so cool, blah, blah, blah. Because she's, like, she's into skin and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really... I don't take it as a as a negative thing, but I definitely think like majority of white people when they see me, they automatically think I'm white. When they find out later that I'm black, they're shocked. So I think that's why they don't ask, "Am I albino?" off bat because they assuming that I'm white. They mm-hmm. think I'm just like I'm. I'm a well, the people that I know, the people that I know that I'm showing you a picture would know that you're not white because I'm your mother. Right. 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 So it's strange. So Bert and I, and Bert is my younger brother, we were both born blind. So as light as Bert and I were at birth, and with us being born with blonde hair, my mom said no one ever thought that we were an albino. They just thought that the milkman was our daddy. Right. (laughs) They just thought that we had a white daddy. Until our hair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. True. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just... um, (laughs) Just to kind of bring it back, I think that to in order to fix the colorism within uh, within our community, one we have to acknowledge the other person's experiences to mm-hmm. say, hey, that even even if because I, I think sometimes like like I was talking to my friend Yanni one time, uh, Tris, you probably you don't know Yanni, but uh, that's my best friend from grammar school, high school. She's like dark, mm-hmm. dark. Beautiful, but okay. dark, dark, right? Um, mm-hmm. We called each other uh, Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but but um, uh, like there was one time I was telling her just as far as my experience of how black people treat me, where it's like, oh, you're not really black, and blah blah blah. Not to say that I have the same experiences as other black people in society. Excuse me, in society. Um, but you know, it's kind of like, oh yeah, like you don't really count, you know, and just how hurtful that is. And, and the, the comments, like the, the slick comments that people kind of make where they don't directly say it, but I feel like that's what they're saying. It's the undertone of it. You know what I'm saying? Microaggressions. Right. And she's like. That's what I get a lot. Microaggressions all the time. Yeah. And she's like, she was telling me about, um, this guy that she knows that is, uh, Damn, I hope you don't listen to this, but it's a guy she knows that is very light-skinned, and he was telling her kind of the same experiences, and she's like, you know, with him, she felt like he was over-exaggerating, or he was being overly sensitive, or it's like, maybe that's not really what they meant, or, you know what I'm saying? So I think it's like, in regards to, 
light-skinned black people, we got to acknowledge their experiences just within the black community or being at, working in white corporate America where everybody at the at the table that you're sitting down with don't realize that you're black and the shit that you hear and stuff like that, you know? Or you a it's safe like, black person. That's another thing, too. Right. Or, oh, you're one of the good you're ones. You're a non-threatening black comments. person, so I can say this right. to you. It's okay, right? Yeah. Like, no, right. it's not okay. Right, right, right. It's not okay. Like, we, we, we have to acknowledge both sides. Like, oh, that's what you go through? Oh, man, like, let me tell you about my experiences and, like, acknowledging both sides and not you know what I'm saying? Not like, not being defensive about it. It's not about being right, defending right. your side. It's, it's about just not. hearing me out. Mm-hmm. Hearing me it's out. like, t- tell me what your experiences were. Like, I'm sorry that happened to you. And you know what I mean? And not saying, well, that never happened to me. So you must be exaggerating. Or, well, right. what did you do? Or, you know what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. you no, know, like, tell me how you feel, how that, you know what I'm saying? How that affected you and blah, 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 blah. And vice versa, you know? Right. Or dark skin people saying, "Oh, you light. You don't have nothing to worry about." Like, dang, you know, like fuck my life. You know, I just got it easy. Like, granted, 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 a cop may knock on wood, but I will probably never get killed by a cop for doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna give you that. Like, I'm gonna acknowledge that. However, by pushing me out or saying, "Oh, you're not really black," or you know what I'm saying, you you missing out on the soldier. You missing out on somebody else that's right. on your team. Mm-hmm. Not that I would ever, not that I would ever allow that to right. happen, but. We got to include real. everybody into the fold, you that's know? And, and like I was saying before, like our, our people that do have privilege, you know, the light-skinned African-Americans that do have privilege, yeah, we might push them through the door, through the door first. Hey, go, go yeah. in there and, and set shit up for us and then pull us in when we they ain't looking. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, for we got to be able to, to use different, you know what I'm saying? Or it might be somebody that's darker-skinned, like, Hey, go in here and, and set this up. You might connect with them better than me, blah, blah, blah. Like, we got to be able use to use. Thing. Exactly. Yep. Use them together, though, instead then, of being divisive. Show that. Yep. Show that. I definitely yep. show that. Yeah. But, you know, mm-hmm. I think I think we got to fix it with love. That's it. And, and acknowledgement, like you said, acknowledgement is so big. I, I meant to say that too when you brought up how your aunt handles like rude people. Like I see yeah. you, I see mm-hmm. you. You're a human being. Like you're yeah. not just. If we not just going through human interactions. Oh, next or, you know, people right. definitely do that at restaurants or just retail stores in general. You just a, a body yep. that's coming in. Like no, hey, I yep. see you. You're a person. I'm a person. Let's act like humans to each other. You know. You'll be surprised as a service provider, and that's in any industry, how people won't even speak to you first. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's literally like, I need this. I want this. Can you do this? You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, hello. How are you? I'm an individual standing here. (laughs) I'm a massage therapist. One of my pet peeves. If you right. say hi, you know, you're like, hi, you know, how you doing? And then they they just go on with the conversation. Or they'll be like, fine, and not ask you how you doing. That is a pet peeve mm-hmm. of mine. Mm-hmm. And I'll stop them and be like, oh, by the way, I'm fine, too. Yeah. You and know, that's not, I'm sorry. I'm like, now ask me. Now ask me. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> ask me. You know. I don't even, I don't even let, I don't even let interactions like that, like, even bother me, for real. Like, I, I go to Tropical Smoothie, like, at least once every day to get a smoothie or whatever. And the one right by my house, 
Like, I can't stand them people in there. Like, all not all of them, but, like, they customer okay. service is just always, yes. Oh! They customer well, service is always <laughs> trash. However, <laughs> that's the only tropical smoothie that's on my way to school. <laughs> so, guess what? When I pull up, hey, how you doing? I don't even care if you said back. How you doing today? Okay, cool. Can I get an island green? <laughs> you know, right. And when I pull up to the window, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Half the time, they don't even speak to me. But I still be, hey, how you doing? Thank you so much. You have a good day. And I just, I don't even think about it. I swear I don't even think about it. It sounds like Bree. Bree always call everybody friend. Hey, friend. Right. <laughs> everybody <laughs> like, what? Right. <laughs> I just, man, I just, I just, like, I don't know. I just, like, you gotta, not that I let everything roll off my back, but I feel like you have to, man. Like, if I, for one, if if I let how they treated their customers, if I let it get to me, then guess what? I either wouldn't be getting tropical smoothie every morning, or I have to go all the way out my way. (laughs) Guess what? I'm gonna be nice to y'all. Y'all ain't gonna spit in my food. <laughs> Y'all ain't gonna spit in my smoothie or nothing. So I don't even care if you don't speak to me or if you give me shitty service. Thank you. Y'all have a good day. All right. Cool. Smiling. All of that. Yeah. One of these days, y'all might be nice to me. Because ain't no telling what's going on in that store. They might have a shitty manager. Just ain't no telling. It, it ain't got nothing to do with me. They might actually be nice people. You know? But if I if I let it get to me or I'm like, oh, they customer service is trash. I'm not going there no more. Like, man, the food come out good. So I'm going to keep eating there. I ain't going to lie. That's exactly what I did. I stopped going to that one. And I started going mm-hmm. to the one on uh, Tropical because it is <laughs> consistently trash. Like, their service is so terrible. Yeah. Um, but I do agree with you. It's like, it's what the priority is. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of times at school with the students, they do it all the time, and I address it every single time. And the reason why I address it is because I'm a firm believer, like, you have to teach people how to treat you, right? Yes, I'm a firm believer yes. in that. And so it's like I need for these students to, A, address me correctly because I am a person, I am a human, and understand, like, you want something from me, right? right? So you need to speak to me and acknowledge my presence, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm out at a, a restaurant or something like that, again, like it's priority. Like the priority here is that my food come out right. It come out the way I ordered it. <laughs> so I'm going to let you have that. I'm going to let you have it. Like, okay, yes. sis, okay, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like with these students, especially, especially going into the industry, especially because so many of them are young adults. They're like 19, 20. And honestly, if I see a 19, 20, 21-year-old, at the window, I'm gonna get them too. I'm gonna get them too. Like I just feel like sometimes it's my duty to get you. It's my duty <laughs> to get you. Like I don't, I, and I do it with love every time. Yes. Like mm-hmm. if it's a young man walking up to the door and he don't open it, and I'm in front of him, I will stand there. I'm gonna stand there. It's your duty. It's your duty, bro. It's your, especially if you black. If you a young black boy, oh, I'm gonna get you. Oh, oh, you know better. Oh, you, you gotta be tough. You gotta be tough. You That's got to. You know. Sometimes you just That's need it. because sometimes it's just that quick acknowledgement. Yeah, right. you know, okay, mm-hmm. let me get that door next time. Let me get that door yeah. next time. Right. Yeah. So, if, if you young, I'm gonna get you. I set out. I'm making my duty. <laughs> For real. <laughs> I'm gonna get and, you. And, and a lot and a lot of times 
just like you said, people just need acknowledgement. Like, do you yeah. realize how many how many black men just go through this world and they don't feel seen or they just feel yeah. like they're a threat to everybody? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to acknowledge that when you interact with people. You can't just Absolutely. see somebody, oh, you a thug, your pants sagging, and that, like, you don't know what the hell he been through or who raised right. him. You know what I'm saying? But you got to meet people where they are. You know what I'm saying? You right. got to meet people where they at and say, hey, even with your sagging pants, even with your bad mouth or, you know, you ain't read a book in your life, I still see you and I still love you. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. once once you have that type of interaction, now they listening to you. You Even even if it's like love isn't always mushy, mushy, give me a hug, I love you. Sometimes it's acknowledging somebody and saying, I want you to be better. I love you where you at, and I want you to be better. Love uh-huh. that. Yep. That's it. That's yeah. the tweet. That's it. That's all I got, guys. We still, we still made it to two hours, and I cut it short. <laughs> man, and started late. <laughs> right, and, man. Okay, so we we gonna say it was about an hour and a half, hour and forty minutes. Okay. But that's yeah, still, perfect because like, I got on late, so that was perfect. Yeah, uh, man. When I first started this, I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be like an hour, you know. Yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs>